Welcome to episode 59 of Between the Times, a podcast of Christ Church Presbyterian in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, my name is John Payne, and I'm here with uh, Pastor Ross Hodges. Hello. And uh, we do not have uh, Dr. Gabriel Williams with us this morning, unfortunately. He had to uh, get over to the College of Charleston uh, to take care of his duties over there. But we are uh, here this morning wanting to talk about a very important subject uh, as it concerns uh, Reformed theology, as it concerns biblical uh, theology, and that is the subject of the three offices of Christ. Now, uh, Ross, you've been leading the Tuesday evening MUSC and Friends Bible study and fellowship uh, through the Heidelberg Catechism recently. Yes. Yep. And uh, I understand this past Tuesday night, uh, you actually unpacked uh, Lord's Day 12, questions 31 and 32, which deal specifically with the three offices of, of Christ. Yes. As yeah. prophet, priest, and king. And so as we, as we approach this subject, uh, Ross, perhaps you could explain to our, our listeners why it is so important uh, in terms of our, our hermeneutics, our, our, our interpretation of Scripture, to uh, understand the connections we make between the Old Testament offices of prophet, priest, and king, and those offices being fulfilled uh, in Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, the, the reason we find this to be so important is, one, because the Bible treats it as very important, and when it comes to our hermeneutics, that, it, that is the way that we interpret the Bible, we, we want to understand that as Jesus taught and as the apostles taught, um, that the New Testament should not be seen as separated from the Old Testament. It really it's just a continuation of it. And they're uh, intimately connected. And so everything that's happening in the Old Testament, it's not just a bunch of uh, laws and rules and stories of moral examples that... Um, of the way that God worked in one way in the in the past, and and then Jesus comes as something different and something new uh, that is separated from those things. It's all interconnected. It's all interrelated. Um, it's the continuation of the story that has one theme and one main uh, line of development that, for the entire time from the beginning, was intended to lead us to Jesus. Mm. That the priesthood in the Old Testament was not an end in itself. It was intended to lead the people to the great priest, the one true high priest, as we will talk about in a few minutes and as Hebrews brings out so extensively. The prophets in the Old Testament were not meant to be an end in themselves. Um, they were, as Moses even uh, tells the people in Deuteronomy 18, um, that there would be another prophet and we could understand a greater prophet that would come. Uh, namely the Lord Jesus, who as in the opening to the uh, letter to the Hebrews, the, the author uh, explains that um, God spoke it uh, in many times in many ways to his people, but now he has spoken through his son, the mm -hmm. Lord Jesus, the, uh, the perfect image of himself. And so, of course, the same with the, the, uh, the kings in the Old Testament. Um, God making that beautiful promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that there would be one who would reign on his throne forever, uh, giving his people the uh, the governance and the protection uh, and the deliverance from their enemies that no other king uh, would have been able to do beforehand. And and then, of course, when we get to the New Testament, even the, the angel um, in Luke, uh, the opening chapters of Luke, is proclaiming that this is the one, this baby being born is the one who is being born in the line of David uh, to rule over his people, to fulfill those forever promises that God made. And so 
there's these connections that we don't want to miss that um, that the the Bible uh, would have us to see uh, itself then as as one whole, one story. And of course, uh, you mentioned earlier that the Old Testament isn't uh, just about rules and laws and and and, and narratives that uh, teach us moral examples and so forth but it's also we know it's more than that but but it is that too certainly Uh, these yeah these 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 uh, rules and and laws and uh, stipulations we have uh, they are there to ultimately show us our sin absolutely and uh, and also as as Christians to give us direction for how we live our, our lives now of course so much of what's in the Old Testament is connected to national Israel, and we have the civil law and the ceremonial law there, which of course yes. is, is obsolete in Christ, fulfilled in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, but even the, the, the moral examples, for instance, we're, we're walking through Daniel right now, and mm-hmm. we see Daniel and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and these extraordinary faithful uh, men who didn't bow the knee to Baal, as it were. Uh, and we can learn from their example. Absolutely. But that's not primarily what Daniel's about. Right. It's not about the, the, the example of, of Daniel and how we need to follow it. Because if that's really all Daniel's about, then the only thing we take away from it is, I need to be like Daniel so that I can earn God's favor. Right. Yeah, exactly. Those things are there for our instruction in many different ways. But... Uh, the point we want to emphasize is that it's never abstracted from Christ. It's never, you know, whether it's the laws that are teaching us how to live uh, or in, in as those who have been chosen by God and redeemed by Him or uh, any uh, moral examples, it's, it's always still connected to the one story, the one message of salvation through the Son of God. Um, and and we don't want to fall into the trap of saying, well, the Old Testament is these things and and isn't connected to Jesus, and the New Testament is this, and it's not connected to the Old Testament. It's always connected to the one story that God is telling. And so many people today, I think, are reading their Bibles as a kind of place to go to get a little encouragement or Mm -hmm. to find a a moral maxim, something to give them a nudge along life's way, and uh, almost like a uh, a self-help book. Right, Uh, yeah. You know, some, some people really think that that God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse, uh, and, and it is. It's found in First Hesitations, chapter yeah, one, exactly, verse exactly, five. yeah, exactly. Well, we've considered briefly. Then um, you, you've you've summarized well for us why it's so important to understand the three offices of of Christ in connection with the Old Testament offices. Uh, to help us get, get a, a proper understanding of Scripture as that which uh, glorifies Christ as that final prophet, priest, and king. But let's let's zoom in a little bit um, and look at the offices themselves so that we can understand who Christ uh, is yeah, uh, for absolutely. us. Because Christ is exercising his three offices in the life of the church, yes. isn't he? And that's so important to, yeah. to recognize. And, and that's why even the Catechism is bringing this out. Uh, it's under the section the Catechism is expounding upon the Apostles' Creed. And, and we, we confess that creed as the church today. Um, we, the Christians have been confessing this creed together for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so we want to understand what we are confessing. And so when it comes to the part about Jesus being Christ, that is, anointed one, 
what do we even mean by that? Well, what we mean by that is that he's exercising these offices. Mm. Uh, that he's been anointed by God and called by God the Father to be these things for us. And so when we, in Lord's Day worship, together with one heart and voice, say that we believe in, in uh, Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, when we're confessing that, there's a whole lot of substance there. And so this isn't just raw academics. It's not just something that should be in a seminary classroom. It's something that affects us day in and day out because Jesus is our prophet. So, he is our priest. He is our king. So as Christ, he is the anointed one. Yes. That's he what, is the Messiah. That's what the word means, is the anointed one. In the Old Testament, when priests were brought into office, and when prophets were brought into office, and when kings were brought into office, what's the common denominator? They're there? all anointed. They're all anointed. Yeah. Christ is the anointed one who fulfills all three offices and who is our prophet, priest, and king. Let's think, uh, first of all, um, Ross, uh, Let's let's discuss the office of, of a prophet as it concerns our Lord. You mentioned earlier a little bit from Hebrews one, yeah. Um, but what what do we know about Christ as our final prophet? Well, the the whole office of prophet is to be, uh, in, as we see in the Old Testament and also um, with Jesus in the New, is to communicate the character and will of God to His people. So God is a holy God. He's a He's a, a consuming fire in one aspect of, of who he is. And the, the people at Sinai uh, in the Old Testament when God is speaking, and they're saying, no, don't, don't make us hear from him directly. We can't take it. it we're, you know, we are sinful people. He's a holy God. And so God gives an intermediary. He gives Moses uh, to, to be his prophet, to, uh, to declare his will. And so it's a way for a uh, prophet, the, the office of the prophet is a way for, a, for God's people to hear from him and mm. to know his desires and his will for their life and to have someone speaking into their lives on behalf of God. And that's what uh, the prophets did. They declared, uh, oftentimes in the Old Testament, yes, they're declaring judgment and it's a, it's a, um, a sobering thing when you, you look and see God warning his people about their sin and declaring judgment if they don't repent. But there's also uh, declarations of salvation and of God uh, coming to his people. Comfort, comfort my people, says mm. your God, you know, Isaiah 40. Mm. And so this office of the prophet throughout the Old Testament economy, um, God was declaring to his people who he was, who they were, what they should be and should not be doing, um, the repentance and faithfulness and those things. Well, uh, the promise of the... And the, exactly, and the promise of, of salvation and the covenant of grace. And uh, Moses, as we mentioned earlier in Deuteronomy 18, is telling the people, one day there is, there is a prophet coming. Um, there, there is, you know, almost reading between the lines and certainly reading as the, the scriptures develop, um, there is the greatest prophet who is coming. And uh, Peter, actually, um, early in Acts, references this in Acts 3. Hmm. He's telling the people... Uh, Acts 3, beginning in verse 22, he's quoting Moses. And he says, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. And he goes on to tie this to Jesus. And uh, the New Testament, as we mentioned from Hebrews 1, and Jesus himself, uh, throughout his ministry, he was declaring himself to be the one who revealed the Father. We see this especially strongly, say, in John's Gospel. 
And the difference between Jesus, though, and the other prophets is he didn't just declare the way to God, and he did not just declare the character of God. He himself was God incarnate, and he himself was making the way to God. So he wasn't mm. just revealing the truth about God. He is the truth of God. He wasn't just revealing the way to God. He was the way to God, is the way to God. And so, of course, the, the beautiful passage in John 14, mm. the apostles, or the, the, excuse me, the disciples at that time were saying, well, we don't know where you're going. How can you say we know where you're going and that we're also going to go there? And, and Jesus says, well, I am the way. Mm. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus being the culmination and the pinnacle of God's revelation to his people, and not just revealing, but also not just revealing the way to God, but also... Uh, making the way to God. Jesus doesn't simply preach the Word of God. He is the Word of God. Yes. He is the fulfillment of, of Proverbs chapter 8. He's the wisdom of God. Yes. Um, and so, yes, it is, it is to Christ that the Word points to. He is, uh, he is the Word. Uh, so, so Christ is our, our prophet. Yes. And, and how is it that, that, that he exercises that office in the life of the church well he, he does so now obviously he's no longer here uh, on on the earth uh, speaking to us with his vocal cords and that sort of thing but he has ordained his uh, his the the ministry of the church his church uh, to continue that and so um, what we see the succession of prophecy as it were uh, for today is is the ministry of the word through uh, ordained ministers, trained, uh, raised up, trained, called to, to preach that word. Who are preaching what is there on the page Yes, and not what they want to be there. Yes. Uh, this is uh, the calling of ministers who are ordained and set apart to declare the message of God. Uh, we are ambassadors called yes. to give the message of the king. Yes, and the message of our of our our chief prophet. Exactly. Um, uh, so we we don't add to what is there. We don't take away from what is there. We don't. We herald arrange, what is already we, there. Yes, we, we we come down from the the castle, as it were, into the town, and we declare what has been given to us. Yes. We don't take out an eraser and change things and mark it up and edit it. We preach the word of Christ, and that's how Christ is exercising his office in the life of the church. Is through gospel ministers who are faithfully proclaiming his message. Yes. And so we see Jesus um, as prophet, um, as the one declaring God's word and will to his people. But he's also a priest. Uh, he himself has made the way to God. Um, so, John, how about you uh, expound on that for us? Yeah. The Old Testament uh, priesthood we see in the book of Leviticus, uh, the, um, the establishing of this uh, uh, this line of priests and their function is to be a kind of mediator between God and the people and uh, they are doing all kinds of things but one of the main things that they do of course um, in addition to, to teaching uh, the word of God and the will of God is to um, carry out sacrifices mm -hmm. um, we, we see all of the various uh, uh, rules uh, ordinances uh, established by God uh, for carrying out these sacrifices. And, and so uh, these holy men, as it were, 
who are making these sacrifices on behalf of the people, mm. uh, for the atonement of the people, which we know ultimately, uh, ultimately there is no final uh, uh, atonement apart from, from Christ, but they're, they're making these sacrifices, and all of it is in glorious anticipation of the coming Messiah, uh, who would be our, our priest, the final priest, our high priest, uh, who, who lives forever. Um, we find in Hebrews a, a wonderful uh, letter, epistle, that, that clearly communicates uh, to the church who Christ is uh, as our high priest. Mm. Uh, of course, there we see in Hebrews, um, which we just studied in our men's Bible study recently uh, mm -hmm. as well, prior to Romans, uh, we see that Jesus is, is, is better than the angels because he is the, the true and, and eternal son of God. Uh, Jesus is better than Moses because yeah. he's the final prophet, as you mentioned yeah. before. And it also shows you that Jesus is greater than, than the priests. Mm -hmm. He's the greatest priest. He's the, the high priest. And, and it says in, in verse 17 of chapter 2 of Hebrews, Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest mm. in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Mm. Uh, there's a lot here. Uh, the first thing we notice in this text is that he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Mm. Uh, mm. He was not a, he was a human being. He was, he was, uh, fully man, fully God. He was born of a virgin and uh, was born one less. He wasn't a phantom. He wasn't a, mm -hmm. a, a, um, some kind of a ghost. Uh, he didn't, he wasn't uh, one who had the appearance of a man, but really wasn't a man. Yeah. Um, so he, he had to be like one of us in order to save us. He had to become like us, like Adam. Because he actually had to intercede for us. Because he had to intercede for us. You can't us. do that for people if you don't identify Right, so so Christ um, is a is it says here a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation. This word propitiation is golden. Mm. Um, the 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 idea that people would want to remove this from from translations uh, to to sort of make it more palatable. It's it's, mm. it's just crazy. We need to understand this word. This word essentially is associated with the mercy seat. Uh, yeah. in the Old Testament. And it's it's the blood of the innocent lamb uh, on the Day of Atonement being uh, sprinkled on the mercy seat, mm -hmm. making the point that uh, God requires blood for the forgiveness of sins, yeah. life for life. Mm -hmm. And uh, what is being conveyed here is that God's wrath must be satisfied. Mm -hmm. His justice must be satisfied. It, it cannot, uh, sin cannot go undealt with, as yeah. it were. Mm. And so through this, this sacrifice in the Old Testament, um, an atonement is made for the sins of the people. Mm. And all of this, again, is in anticipation of, of Christ uh, becoming that lamb who is slain, mm but who is also a high priest who gives not a lamb, but he gives himself. Christ is the, our high priest, and he is the lamb of God who takes mm -hmm. away the sin of the world. He is, he is fulfilling 
all of those those types and those shadows mm. um, in that in the Old Testament. Yeah. And so Christ, it says here, makes propitiation for the sins of the people. He doesn't do so by sacrificing an animal. He does so by sacrificing himself. Yes. And, and what does that mean for the efficacy, the effectiveness of his sacrifice, and even its ongoing nature? So it's later in Hebrews, the author comes and says that, you know, there was, there were, I don't know if problems is the right word, but there were um, limitations to the Old Testament priesthood as far as what it could accomplish and the sort, of, the sort of assurance that it could give you. But then he contrasts that to Jesus. What are the implications of Jesus' sacrifice for his people? It's the message of Hebrews that it's finished, that he has satisfied God's justice. He has propitiated God's wrath. He's turned God's wrath away from us onto himself mm. on Calvary and has purchased our redemption in full. Uh, there's nothing left to be done. In the Old Testament, all of those animal sacrifices um, were uh, all fell short of being able to propitiate God's wrath. Mm. Um, but insofar as people were believing the promise of uh, the covenant promise of what those sacrifices pointed to, mm. of course, you know, their, uh, the wrath of God is propitiated yeah. uh, in their, on their behalf. Christ is our high priest. Um, as our high priest, he understands what we go through because he experienced everything that we experienced in terms of temptation and struggle. Mm. It says in chapter 4 of Hebrews, verse 14, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Mm -hmm. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. Our Savior is a Savior who is full of mercy, who is full of grace, who is full of forgiveness. And by faith in Him, through His blood and righteousness, we can come to the throne of grace, and not timidly. Yes. We can come boldly because our way has been made. Mm. Uh, uh, the, the veil has been torn. Yeah. And uh, we can enter the Holy of Holies and have fellowship and communion with God in Jesus Christ. And that's glorious. Christ is our high priest. And as our high priest, he intercedes for us. He prays for us. And uh, that is such an encouragement to know that, uh, that not just in my hard days, but every day, I know the Lord is interceding yeah. for me, not only by being at the right hand of God with his nail-scarred hands and feet, uh, having purchased my redemption, but as one who actively continues to comfort me and encourage me through his word and prays for me yes. that I would not be snuffed out uh, by Satan. Yeah. So this is one of the places where we disagree, one of many places where we disagree with the Roman Catholic Church where uh, there are saints and Mary and others who would intercede for Christians so because they can't really go straight to Jesus and certainly not straight to God the Father. And also... With our doctrine of the Lord's Supper, we, we have a very different view than uh, the Roman Catholic Church, where they view the Mass as a re-sacrificing of Christ, right? So we say, no, this is once for all. Um, you, can't, you cannot re-sacrifice Jesus. You should not, you, and so forth. Yes. 
Yes, there was an ongoing nature of the Old Testament sacrificial system. Uh, always animals being sacrificed, uh, hundreds of thousands of them. And, uh, but with Christ, uh, it's finished. It's finished. Uh, even we look at the um, sacrament uh, uh, of circumcision mm-hmm. and, and then uh, baptism. Uh, circumcision was a bloody rite. It was a tearing away of the foreskin. There was mm-hmm. blood involved in that. And it, it all pointed to Christ, our circumcision, the one who was circumcised on Calvary, as it were, torn away from yeah. uh, the fellowship of his Father. And, um, and, and, and through his blood, we are cleansed. All of this is being communicated through uh, circumcision. Baptism is not a bloody rite. Mm-hmm. It's an unbloody rite. Yes. Which, by the way, points us to the very same thing circumcision does. Yeah. The, the cleansing of the blood of Christ. That Christ was um, uh, went through the floodwaters of God's wrath for our salvation. Mm. Uh, the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. It's the same. It's the substance of circumcision and baptism is the same. And, uh, and what, it, what it points us to is the same. Namely, the person and work of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Amen. So Christ is our, our prophet, he's our, he's our priest, and he's also, he's also our king. How would we say that he exercises this role of, of kingship sure. uh, in the church today? Well, Jesus is king uh, in that he's the head of the church. Uh, it is from him that we receive our marching orders, as it were. It's his constitution, in other words, his word, uh, that gives us direction, and it's him that we serve. Uh, the the office of the king. Ross, are you saying that the Pope is not the head of the church then? <laughs> yes, I am. Okay, now we got that straight. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Jesus is the only king and head of the church, and it is him that we serve. And uh, all ministers are those who uh, are serving um, at uh, at the calling of this king. Uh, really, all elders and, and deacons, officers of the church are those who have been called by the king to serve his people. Um, in the Old Testament uh, economy, the, the king was one who was to, in a sense, be God's uh, hand of protection, governance, defense uh, over the people. And that's how, that's how we see and how the, you know, the, the Reformed catechism, uh, catechisms and confessions see Jesus' kingship is that he's, he's governing, as the Heidelberg says, he governs us by his word and spirit. And then also um, he defends us. He defends and preserves us in the redemption mm-hmm. obtained for us. And so the message of the New Testament with Jesus' kingship is that um, he, he does govern us by, by his word declared uh, to us, that he guides and directs us, uh, keeps us with those things. But he defends and preserves us in, in redemption and in the salvation that he's wrought for us. And he Jesus himself makes those promises, again, thinking of the Gospel of John when he speaks of, you know, my sheep knowing my voice and, um, and him being a shepherd in that sense. But he talks about no one being able to snatch them out of his hand. Mm. Uh, that's a protection. Uh, of course, uh, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, Jesus speaking about all authority, which is a kingly rule sort of thing, all authority in heaven and on earth being given to him. Um, and... And therefore, he commissions his church, his apostles, to to go forth under that authority 
and he promises to be with them. And so uh, then, of course, the message of Scripture is that that, that that mission under the authority of Jesus as king, it will not and cannot fail. Yes. The gates of hell that, that would stand against that mission mm-hmm. going forward will not be able to stand. Why? Well, because Jesus is king, mm-hmm. and he has won the day. And uh, though he has not come back yet to the final consummation, the message that we get from the New Testament, we see it played out in vivid imagery uh, in the book of Revelation, is that um, Satan has been defeated, and he, he, uh, he will one day be completely thrown out of his position. And now it's as, it's as if Jesus the King has his foot on the neck of his enemy, and he's just waiting for that final blow mm. um, and, and to, to be brought down. So the message of Jesus' kingship is that he rules, he defends, he governs, he protects, and he does that, as with his other offices, um, in, in large part now through the, uh, the mission of the church and through the, uh, the, the oversight and protection of the leaders of, of the church for the, the people, for the sheep. Um, and, uh, and, and we know that there's confidence uh, in the work that Jesus is doing because, uh, because he's already won. So Christ is king, and he rules over his church, and he does so functionally, practically, through qualified, uh, trained, and ordained uh, elders. Yes. Uh, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and verse 17, uh, Paul writes, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Yeah. So there's a, a ruling side, which essentially means that Christ wants order in his church. Mm-hmm. And he's ordained uh, qualified men to bring that order in a, in a humble, servant-hearted way, not in a harsh and overbearing way. Yes. Uh, Christ as king is also a shepherd. He's a shepherd king. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you understand ancient kings, you understand that they were to be understood as shepherds of their people, mm-hmm. caring for their, their the flock of their kingdom, as it were. Christ is the ultimate shepherd king, and we are called uh, as as elders, as pastors, to shepherd the flock of God among us, 1 Peter chapter 5. Yes. And so through us, Christ is shepherding his people. Now, um, uh, we, we're, we're protectors as shepherds as well. Mm-hmm. Kings protect their people. Yes. And so we are called to protect the flock from false doctrine, from predators, uh, yes. from making foolish decisions, uh, uh, from running headlong into sin. So that's part of the role, of course, of the elders. Now, uh, do we or do any elders do this perfectly? Yeah, absolutely uh, not. Of course not. Absolutely not. Uh, yeah. f- far from it. And uh, uh, we, we fail. We don't always show everyone the, the, the same kind of attention we need to. We Things slip through the cracks. Uh, we ourselves are, are, are sinners trying to maintain our uh, lives, our families, our marriages, our, our, our extended family, various things going on in life. Sure. We, we, um, you know, we don't we don't live at the church office. Um, right. <laughs> it's I, contrary to what you might think. Yeah, and I remember one one time when Hans was maybe three or four. We walked over to the ch- or we were at the church. We walked in. And, uh, and uh, our secretary, Lily Seymour, what, wasn't in her office. And he was shocked because he thought she lived there. <laughs> and, uh, now, she, she may have been almost living there, yeah. how hard she worked. But uh, 
yeah, people, you know, elders and pastors, they, they have they have they have lives uh, other than than their 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 calling in the church. So anyway, all that to say, um, Christ uh, loves his church and he's carrying out his three offices of prophet, priest, and king. And mm. you know, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you um, are are searching for a good church. I'll just say this to you, wherever you are, uh, whatever city you may live in, find a church where it is clear that Christ is exercising his three offices through the ministers and elders of the church. Yes, which means they will be first and foremost about the word of Christ. Yes. Proclaiming his word, not their own. Yes, they will be preachers of the word. They will be faithful administrators of the sacraments, which clearly communicate the high priestly work of Christ, uh, him offering himself for us and interceding for us. And, uh, and also that there's order in the church, that there's shepherding care uh, of the elders, that the elders actually know their members and that they're actually reaching out to those visiting, that it's not just a, a, a mill where yes. they're wanting money and crowds. Uh, so, it's important as you look for a church that you know that the three offices of Christ are being exercised uh, through the ministry of the church because that's that's our Lord's way. Yes, that's what He set up. It's what He desires, and uh, it's what He has committed Himself to. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being with us for this episode of Between the Times. We hope that you will join us for our next episode. Hey.